G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. That Colossians reading is the main one for our uh, sermon today and for what we're going to be focusing on. I wonder if you could keep that open in front of you, but before we pray and uh, zero in on that text, uh, I just have a reflection really to share with you on the topic of craftsmanship, which obviously comes up in that Exodus reading, Um, craftsmanship. Um, I'd go so far as to say, I think craftsmanship, or perhaps I should say craftspersonship, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it reflects the fact that it's not restricted to men at all, is it? It's a, um, you know what I mean. Um, I, I would go so far as to say, I think craftspersonship is a peculiarly significant characteristic or trait value uh, in our church culture and history for our little church. Would you agree? I wonder. I think craftspersonship is peculiarly significant to us. It's woven into kind of many of us and our personal story one way or another or our family's stories, which might sound strange, especially if you're newer to us. Perhaps you, you look around the building as it, as it is today and you think there's not a whole lot of evidence of a celebration of the the crafts and art, which, by the way, I think is true of many churches when you, um, when you move around and, and see many churches, isn't it? But can I encourage you, especially if you're newer to us, to scratch a little beneath the surface. Ask about the stories of craftsmanship and, and uh, craft and art and so forth, because there are lots of stories amongst us. It is, I think, a significant area um, in our personal lives, making, arranging, inventing, solving beautifying and, of course, building um, or or some aspect of building, all with an attention to detail, all with an awareness of what's pleasing and elegant and and building things and making things to the Lord. Now, let me continue a little bit further. Um, One craftsman in our midst until only very recently was Otto de Vries, of course, who we farewelled in his funeral some uh, 10 days ago or, uh, or thereabouts. And I'd like to share with you a, a, a bittersweet little memory that Betty shared with me. Um, as you know, Otto lived his last months in care in a home um, and he was very well cared for there, which I'm glad to be able to say. He had a room and in his room there were many different things. Um, but there was one thing there in particular which I want to draw our attention to. It was a stool. There was a stool in his room, a little uh, footstool or sort of almost a side table really. And uh, it was a very beautiful stool. It was made of hardwood and um, it had a thick round top and uh, on the top of it were lots of um, engravings and uh, designs and then around the edge of the top there were more. It continued around the edge, around the rim of the stool, of the seat. And uh, Betty tells me um, Otto with his own history of fine woodworking and his experience of carving and patterns and, and working in wood as he did, and even in stools, in making stools, that he made this remark to Betty just a short time ago about the stool. He looked at it, this stool in his own room, and he felt its patterns, ran his fingers over them, and he made this comment to Betty. He said, the person who made this stool must have been a real craftsman. Uh, so it was one of those remarks of admiration, you know, of one artist to another. Uh, of, he recognised beauty in a way that only a fellow craftsman could. He knew exactly what it took to, to craft that, to get that engraving just right, for the patterns to all replicate just so. 
around the stool and around its, its edges. Uh, that's the sweet aspect of the memory. But the bitterness, of course, and some of you probably know the very stool that I'm talking about, is that Otto was that craftsman. But of course, his cruel disease had robbed him of the memory of having made it. Now, why do I raise all that? It's because I think we share an admiration for real craftsmanship. I think it's something that we value and delight in and recognise and share, even if our hands aren't the ones who have necessarily crafted the beautiful thing. Uh, I think we share an admiration for the craftsmen of Exodus 31. Keep your hand in Colossians if you uh, would, but uh, you might like to come back or flick back on your phone or whatever, however you're doing it to Exodus chapter 31 just for a moment, uh, to the stories of Bezalel, son of Uri, and Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach. God chose them back in the days of Moses... Uh, some three and a half thousand years ago now, and just listen to these words that we have there in Exodus 31 from verse 3, where it says, and I, as in God, I have filled him, speaking of Bezalel, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs, for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Can you see them there? Bezalel and Oholiab at their workbenches, perhaps, surrounded by tools, uh, with their eyes and hands attending to the finest details, working by sunlight, working by candlelight. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills. Now hold that thought and come with me to Colossians 1. Colossians 1 and verse 9. Where the Apostle Paul says, we continually ask God, partway through the verse, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Can you hear the similarity of language? Do you realise, Christian, that quite apart from your skills in the workshop and your craftspersonship in the home, however that manifests itself, that God would have you, Christian, by His Spirit, with wisdom and understanding, be a craftsperson of your very life. I think that's what Paul's driving at here. It's almost the very same words and phrases as in Exodus 31. I think Paul has it in mind as he's writing these words. Just as Bezalel and Oholiab were filled with wisdom and understanding and knowledge by the Spirit to construct and craft a temple worthy of the Lord, we are to give ourselves personally and prayerfully to lives worthy of the Lord. Both our own lives and the influence that we have on the people around us. May we pray as we turn to Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Now, Father God in heaven, it is a, a really lovely thing in life to see beauty and real craft emerge and drawn out from raw materials, from rude timber. Uh, we recognise beauty on the canvas with paint or from a musical instrument as the notes meet our ears. 
We recognise beauty in a house that has been transformed into a home through loving touch and care and a careful arrangement. But Father, perhaps we are slow to recognise the craft and beauty of a life well lived in the power of your Spirit. So would you please attune our eyes and our affections and even our personal longing to better align with your intentions and desires for us and for the world around us and the people around us. So would you help us today, please, to understand and heed your word to us in Colossians. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So a bloke named Gregory Beale, he puts the, uh, the point that I was just making like this. He said, the Exodus text asserts that God filled people with the Spirit so that they would have the skills needed to build the tabernacle and fashion its inner contents. Accordingly, Paul sees God filling Christians with his spirit so that they can live, I love this phrase, skillful, godly lives. Skillful, godly lives. Today, uh, we're continuing our series through uh, Paul's prayers as we um, pick them out of his letters to the churches and and derive something for our prayer lives and our Christian lives um, from Paul's prayers to the churches. I suspect some of them are starting to grow a bit sameish, aren't they? As if we're honest about it, the content of the different prayers as we look at Thessalonians, we look at Ephesians, now we're looking at Colossians. Uh, the similarities: thanking God for faith, for growing love, something or other to do with hope each time. Uh, let me make a comment on that a little bit later. But in Colossians one nine to fourteen. It seems to me that Paul meant to send the Colossians, how would you put it, in light of Exodus 31, into the workshops of their souls, I think, that they might personally and prayerfully uh, pursue skillful godly lives, skillful godly lives in themselves and one another by the Spirit of God. And my question for us today is, will that be us? A church that values craftsmanship and care and brilliance. Will that be us? Skillful, godly lives pursued by the Spirit of God. I'd like to develop that under three headings, if I could. Uh, Firstly, we're going to take, uh, hopefully, inspiration from what we see inside the showroom, uh, the the final product, if you will, the finished piece. Uh, Secondly, we're going to take up the tools, lest we forever just tinker around. What are the tools that God has given us? We're going to see what they are, lest we just tinker around to no real effect. And thirdly, lastly, we're going to behold a much bigger and broader basis. The much bigger and broader basis. For my craftsmanship, however lovely, is not really the big picture that Paul wants to plug our skillful, godly lives into um, together. So I'll repeat those on the way through, but I'd like to start here. I wonder if we sometimes do downplay... Um, or devalue uh, the hard craft of working on our own spiritual progress, partly because we're stuck in the workshop and we never really take the time to wander around the showroom. Uh, The paragraph that we're looking at today, uh, we're mostly going to focus from verse 9 and following, and the paragraph is a prayer, but most of it isn't actually a request. For most of it, Paul's not asking anything. Have a look down with me there from verse 9 and following. In fact, he's just explaining why he asks God to do the one thing that he does ask God to do. So, I want you filled with knowledge by God's Spirit. That's verse 9. There's the request. But then the rest of that paragraph, do you see, is why? Have a look with me at verse 10. 
Uh, let me show you what I'm longing for you to become, Paul is saying. Will you take a look around the showroom with me? I ask God to do this stuff that we'll talk about in a moment, verse 9, why? So that, verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Is it true? I think sometimes we get a little bit bored of Paul's prayers as we read them through. Maybe bored's not the right... Overly familiar because they're they're sort of a cliche and so they become tired to us, they don't become particularly compelling as we uh, read these sorts of things, faith this and love that and and hope something or other else. But have a closer look. He's trying to show you, Christian, what you could become in the power of God through the work of God in your life by His Spirit. He is inviting us into a showroom of what God might and is doing in us. It's people, verse 12... I think this is my favourite bit, actually. It's people who have joy in their hearts, who are just brimming with thanks. Can you think of people like that? I'd want to say I think they are a work of art in God's world. Can you think of people like that who are just joyful from their heart, brimming with thanks in their life? Aren't they a blessing? Aren't they a delight to us? People, verse 11, people who have faced whatever it is that they face with a patience, with an endurance, a constancy that you can only really put down after the fact to the strength given them by God Himself. How else can they do it? Are there people in your life that you you look at what they're enduring and you wonder, how can they do that? But for the strength of God, but for the work of God. People, verse 10, um, who even if they're elderly, perhaps, or even if they're used to being the smartest person in the room, even if they have their life altogether, verse 10, it's people who don't retreat behind a, a, a rigidity, but they're curious. They want to know and they want to grow. They want to know more. They, want to, they find things in the Scriptures that they'd never noticed before. And they tell you, so I hadn't seen that before. And there's a delight in learning and growing as the people of God. They find things in themselves that still need work. They can see that their life is a work in progress, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. I guess I want to ask us this morning, congregation, does that kind of vision for skillful, godly lives still grip our hearts? Is that still who we want to be? Does that still excite us as we look not just inward at ourselves, but outward at one another, the people around us, the people? Is that, what, is that our vision and our, uh, what we pursue for the young people in our church, for our peers at whatever age you're at in our church, for one another? Is it what we're praying for? Paul would have us, verse 10, live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Let me say it bluntly in case it's not clear. You're not there yet. (laughs) And I'm not there yet. And it's not saying worthy in the sense of, 
well, if we try hard enough, then God's going to like us. No, 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 read the paragraph. Worthy, because he already loves us. Verse 13, for he has rescued, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Just that kind of vision for human life together, for church life together. Joyful and thankful and growing and humble and engaged and fruitful. Does that, does what we see in the showroom then propel us back into the workshop of our lives? Do you see? I think we need both. I think we need the showroom and we need the workshop. Now, may I just make one quick aside? You, Christian, I I do plead with you to live a life worthy of the Lord. In fact, I think that's what this text is telling us to do and to pursue and to pray for for one another. Absolutely, live a life worthy of the Lord. Not, Paul does not say that you must live a life worthy of the church. And the reason I say this is because occasionally I come across folks who feel that if they were to come to church, or if they were to come back to church, which is often how it's framed, or they are at church regularly, but they feel a bit like the odd one out, a bit of a disappointment to everyone around about them, they feel that they have to be a certain person. Otherwise, they'll be on the outer and they're not worthy and it's not really for them. And I want to say, I think that's sad insofar as there's a difference between what being worthy of the Lord is and worthy of church is in their minds. I think that's sad. So as the minister, let me say, I I do expect you to strive to live a life worthy of the Lord. And I, I expect me to strive to live a life worthy of the Lord. But beyond that, you're not a disappointment. And you're not unwelcome and you're not... So let's work together on that. But coming back to the main point, let the showroom propel us back into the workshop and so secondly, take up the tools of the trade that God has given us in the pursuit of these skillful, godly lives. And I have to say, um, in some ways, look, this is where the whole analogy, right, the craftsman analogy, all that kind of stuff, it does begin to break down a little bit, I think, we start to see its weaknesses because the point of Paul's prayer actually is that you are not the great craftsman of your destiny or the great craftswoman of Christian character. Uh, the, the, the whole prayer is a prayer to the one who can actually answer our prayer, who has the strength to transform lives, namely to the God of heaven whose spirit wields power to change our lives and cultivate skillful, godly lives in us. Uh, but that said, if you uh, mean to lead a life worthy of the Lord Jesus, then the tool that we have within reach, what is it according to the passage? is the knowledge of His will given by His Spirit. I think that's what it's saying. Have a look with me there from verse 9. So, for this reason, in view of their their faith and their love from earlier in the passage, their faith in the apostolic gospel, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way and on it goes. Now, I take it uh, that Bezalel and Oholiab, uh, brilliant though they may have been, 
There's a sense in which they can't have been filled with the knowledge of God's design for the temple and that altar and all the garments and the furnishings and all of the things that Jack read to us a few minutes ago. How can I possibly say that? Didn't God choose them after all? Weren't they given skills? How can I say that they weren't filled with all of the knowledge that they needed? Well, perhaps the obvious point that God then goes on to explain for chapter after chapter, book after book in the Old Testament. Do you remember Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy and the details that it goes to there? God goes on to explain in minute detail of threads and designs and structure and placement and arrangements and materials of the temple and all of its accoutrements. They had to learn by the Spirit of God, the will of God for the preparation of the temple, this place worthy of the Lord... And brothers and sisters, can we see them huddled over the plans, pouring over uh, God's revealed word to them, mastering the scriptures, pouring over the details, obsessing and discussing together how it is all supposed together, uh, supposed to go together. And Paul called the Colossian Christians to huddle over the will of God, that God might make masterpieces of their lives in the power of his spirit. Are we huddled over the knowledge of his will, verse 9. But wait up, perhaps you're asking yourself, um, what is the knowledge of his will? <laughs> what, what is this will of God that I'm supposed to be huddled over and knowing and pouring over and obsessing over the details of and so forth? Uh, verse 9, we uh, continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit, Spirit gives. Y- yes, but what is that? How do I learn that? Um, and, and sometimes I think we obsess over that in, in, in a particular kind, we, what do we, we make of that phrase, knowing the will of God for our lives, in a particular light, with questions like, should I take this job? Or should I quit that job that's driving me up the wall? Or should I marry this person? Or should I marry at all? Uh, or do I stay in Tassie, where my family is and where people are that I know, or should I move into state for study or for work, or uh, knowing that I leave behind parents, perhaps, in their older years? Uh, That's the kind of stuff I think we tend to associate with the will of God, uh, and it would be nice to know answers, wouldn't it, to some of those questions from time to time. But Paul, let's have a look here together. Paul does this really interesting thing having asked God to fill us or fill the Colossians with the knowledge of his will, he actually goes on to tell us exactly what God's will is, what pleases God, what has moved God to act, what God's passions are. And it is far more glorious and consuming than perhaps the stuff that we get caught up on and sometimes for good reason get caught up on. Read with me from verse 15. We didn't read this bit before where Paul starts unpacking what God has been and is doing in his son. The son, S-O-N, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Starting to get a flavour of the will of God in this world, aren't we? Verse 17, he is in the Son, he is before all things, in him all things hold together and he's the head of the body, the church, he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased 
to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Isn't Paul saying that here is the tool that God gives by His Spirit for you to master the craft of a life worthy of the Lord? I want you to know, I want you to be filled with knowledge of the will of God what God's doing in the world, His agenda, what pleases Him, what, his, what has been His passion since the very beginning. Fixate on that, won't you? Craft your life around that, obsess over that, pour over what God has done, is doing, has promised to do in Christ to save the world, no less. Now, will that tell you um, who to marry or whether to or whether to travel or where or how to fix your marriage or um, how to fix a busted friendship when things go sour or what to do when siblings won't talk to one another anymore or... Do you know what? In, in my experience, actually very often, yes. It actually does address many of those things. A life shaped by the saving heart of God for a lost and sinful world, um, yes, it does actually provide a fair bit of clarity on how to navigate some of those extremely sticky parts of life, those big decisions to fix things that are broken. I sat with a man this week whose marriage is a wreckage and I firmly believe that what he needs more than anything is to be gripped by the saving love of Jesus for him and for his wife and for his kids and for everyone else involved. Is it fair to say that very often when we are struggling most to lead lives worthy of the Lord, it's because we've lost sight of our Lord and how He spent His life? And thirdly and finally, behold that broader basis. So step into the showroom, see what God is up to, take up the tools of the knowledge of God's will and behold this broader basis. Thirdly, what Paul sees in the Colossians whom he has never met and what we have among us is not the genius of us little craftspersons, not, not the majesty of masterpieces of our own making. We have faith in a personal God who pays attention to prayer and is powerful to bring it about. Let's have a look at that broader basis from verse 9, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. 
as we move towards a conclusion, let me just uh, highlight two things, just two things that I really love here. N number one, do you notice Paul doesn't get sick of praying? Isn't that delightful? Paul does not get sick of praying. A and by implication, God does not get sick of hearing. Are those two precious things, two wonderful things? In our series on Paul's prayers so far, we've heard him pray again and again. Uh, God, thank you for these Christians, for their faith and their, their love the expression of their faith in love for one another and for the world. Uh, we might have heard uh, perhaps their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's, that it's sure and it's firm and they're looking towards His return. Uh, God, would you please grow them? You know, that's been the theme, hasn't it? More and more. Would you fill them full with love and drench them deep in the knowledge of your ways and hold their heart hope of Christ's return? That's been some of the stuff we've been seeing, I think. Let me ask you, has Paul prayed the same thing over and over again, church after church, group of Christians after group of Christians, because he can't think of anything better to pray? Or because he knows the best thing to pray? It is good for us to pray, brothers and sisters, for healing and for personal issues and for employment and for exams and I'm glad that we do and we're going to be praying about some of those things in our congregational life very shortly but let us not tire. Since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. We are not the masterpiece, we're not the great artist. But at best, and by the Spirit of God, we are growing believers, constant prayers, relying on God to work the craft of His will in the lives of the lost to the glory of Jesus, even amongst us. And He'll do it. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, You have placed us uh, in a community of your people among whom you're at work and you have placed within each of us an appreciation of beauty and a wonder at things well made and carefully put together. May we learn to marvel, O oh God, at the Lord Jesus and his work amongst us. Fill us, would you please, with that deep and rich knowledge of your inexhaustible and marvellous will for this world. Father, may we be constant in prayer for one another. May we find uh, fresh ways, perhaps, to express those same old priorities in prayer, beyond cliches and empty phrases. But may we call on our God to fill, really fill to the brim, each of us who are your people, with a life worthy of Christ, our Saviour. Make us men and women, O oh God, of joyful thanks and patient endurance and fruitful lives and growing knowers of our loving God in the Gospel. And in Jesus' name we ask for your help, please. Amen.